I'm Talmadge Boston, and welcome to this edition of Cross-Examining History, where we explore American history, great books, and thought leadership through conversations with esteemed authors. Today, I'm interviewing George Getschow, the man behind the great new book, Pastures of the Empty Page, fellow writers on the life and legacy of Larry McMurtry. Larry McMurtry is the man who gave us Lonesome Dove, The Last Picture Show, Terms of Endearment, Horseman Passed By, on which the movie HUD was based, and so many other major books. George's book came out on September 5th, 2023, and we did the interview in front of a live audience in Dallas on February 7, 2024. Enjoy. All right, as uh, Bob mentioned in the email, um, as I prepared for this interview, uh, I just felt a tingling tied entirely to two things. Number one, my lifelong love of Larry McMurtry, and number two, my new love for George Getschow's new book about Larry McMurtry. There's something about McMurtry, if you're from Texas, his writing just touches our soul like nobody else, and George's book uh, captures it. It's a collection of over 30 writers giving their tributes and memories of the relationship with McMurtry, the impact he had on their writing. I'm assuming almost everybody in this room has read Lonesome Dove and seen the miniseries, and hopefully most of you have seen the movie HUD and the last picture show in terms of endearment. And, and recognize the importance of McMurtry in the scheme of all things Texas. Larry died a couple of years ago. George used to run the creative writing department at the University of North Texas. He was the driving force behind the Mayburn Writing Conference, which was the leading writing conference in this part of the country for years. Uh, he is a gift to anybody who cares about the state of writing in Texas. Please welcome George Getschow. All right, so with every author who I interview, I like to start with the question, what caused you to put together this book? Now, you wrote some in this book, but it's largely a collection of other people's essays. What, what was the light bulb that turned on in your brain that led to the creation of this book, George? Um, first of all, thank you, Talmadge, for having me here. I, I don't know how only Talmadge could get a group of men to have breakfast, share a breakfast table with him at this early, early time in the morning. All right. Well, I just applaud Talmadge for being, being able to gather a bunch of men who care about reading and literature. Pretty impressive. How did the book come about? Well, Larry died uh, two years ago. Larry was a friend of mine because I uh, ran writing workshops in Archer City, his hometown, with him. And he... He was uh, sort of the muse upon which we built the workshop. His writing, his screenwriting, his novel writing, his book writing. Um, so we became good friends over the years. Um, and when he died in um, 2021, there was no memorial service, no funeral, no nothing. Um, and I just, given his influence, 
given his profound influence, um, not only on other writers, but on everyone who's ever thought about Texas. He's shaped the way we think about Texas, the way we see Texas, the way we relate to Texas through his novels, through his films, and everything else. That um, I just felt we had to gather a group of people to, to pay tribute and honor to this great writer. We had to do something. So I <clears throat> called together all my, all my writer friends in Texas and said, would you be willing to write a personal essay about Larry McMurtry? One written from deep within you, talking about how he shaped you, how he defined you, about your influence, his influence on you, and so on. And everyone said yes. I gathered a dozen of them to come to the Royal Theater in Archer City, which is where the last picture show was shot. Has anybody been to the Royal Theater in Archer City? You know about it. Um, about 250 people showed up <clears throat> for this service. And the service was where we read aloud our essays to this gathering about Larry's impact on Texas, on the literature of the West, and so on. Afterwards, people were so moved that they clamored for us to put together a collection about Larry's life and legacy. So I asked everyone that I knew that knew Larry, including Michael Corda, who was his editor at Simon & Schuster for uh, 50 years, um, his many, many friends, Diana Osana, who I spent, I shared a stage with last week. She was his writing partner for um, about 20 years. She lives in Tucson. So that's how it came about. Mm -hmm. So let's go deeper on exactly what it was that caused one of the essays, Paulette Hicks says, Larry McMurtry was a lamplighter, an illuminator to the creative mind. Sherry Wagner said his books had the ringing sound of truth. Katie Vine, a keen observer known for cutting through the bullshit. John Lomax, a rattler of cages, a kicker over of anthills, a squirm-inducing truth teller. So what gave his writing that kind of power to prompt those kind of comments? You know, if I knew how to tap into that power, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be... <laughs> Um, his power was that he was um, relentless. He got up every morning at five o'clock to write his five pages, and he was diligent about it and dutiful like he was when he was a cowboy. He grew up a cowboy, worked, got up morning till, you know, early in the morning, herded cattle, mended fences, did all of that for the first, teen, first 18 years of his life. And I think he had his thumb inside the soil of Texas. He knew Texas, understood Texas, understood Texans, understood our mores, our customs, our beliefs, which are quite different than the rest of the nation, thank God. And I think that he shared an affinity, a connection with the people of this state. And when they read, about it, when they read his characters, when they listened to the dialogue, they sensed that this guy had the pulse of Texas. They sensed that he knew what made us what made us tick. And so I think that, that sort of answers that he's sort of like, uh, I don't know if you read Talmadge's piece in the Dallas Morning News on Sunday about Jack Schaefer, the great writer of Shane and other books, a great Western writer. What made him great? Well, he, he, was, he had the pulse. He, had, he, was, he knew the West, studied the West, cared about the West, loved the West, and everybody loved him back. So I think that has a lot to do with it. So when we think about what makes a great writer, a novelist, a screenplay writer, obviously it's tied to his characters. 
And one of the essays, Sherry Wagner says, McMurtry fulfilled William Faulkner's standard for the successful development of fictional characters. They stand up and cast a shadow. In the foreword by Stephen Graham Jones, he says, he always starts with Sam the Lion from the last picture show, and that for a character to be real, the reader and someone the reader can engage with, he has to have a past. So talk about McMurtry's talent for creating these memorable characters. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I get that question asked wherever I've gone, including last weekend, Talmadge was there at the Texas Philosophical Society. We always talk about Larry's characterization. How did he, how did he create these three-dimensional characters, these complex characters who were, and who were so complex that we were completely and utterly engaged with the characters when they appeared on the page? So engaged because Larry knew, again, Larry had a sense of what true characters, true Texas characters are. I mean, will there ever be another Augustus, you know, uh, the way Larry portrayed it? That was his father. Augustus was Larry's father. And, you know, he wanted, right in that trail drive novel, um, all he was doing was resurrecting his dad and his uncles, who were all cattlemen, and all loved, and all felt that they were born at the wrong time in history. They all wanted to be cattle drivers. And so that's what I'm talking about. It was very personal with Larry. Um, he understood these characters, and they came, his imagination, out of his imagination, came true to life, real life characters. In fact, Larry fell in love with his own characters. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that or heard that from other writers, but he didn't want, he himself became engaged with his characters to the point where that's all he could think about as he was writing about them. Um, he was absorbed with his characters in a way that I think few writers are, even few readers are. They lived on in him, and that's why he kept writing sequels and sequels and sequels, because he didn't want his characters to die. Um, so that's why you'll see, you know, there's, I think, six books in the Houston trilogy. I can't remember even now, seven or eight books in the in the Archer City Trilogy, they call it the Thalia Trilogy, which is Larry's name for Archer City, his hometown. Well, it seems I, to me the key to his characters, and, and John Lomax says, they were done with as much bile as sugar. In other words, they were a balance. None of them were wholly good or wholly bad. They were balanced, which is the way people are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I can't put it any better. They were balanced. They were multidimensional. They weren't what we call flat characters, we call them round characters. And by round, that means people that you see on the street. These are people that you can identify with. You pass them on the street and you immediately say, wow, that's an interesting person. Larry had an ability. He was probably the most attentive writer, somebody who paid attention to the world around him as he moved through the world. So he would able, be able to pick out people's physical idiosyncrasies and personality idiosyncrasies. And he was able to um, create these characters in a way that you all would say, wow, that's me, or that's her, or that's him. Yeah, balanced is a good word. Now, talking about he grew up on the ranch, although he wasn't a particularly good cowboy. He, he wasn't a good horseback rider. He didn't enjoy uh, the ranch life. He became disenchanted, you say, with the romantic notions of cowboy life and frontier values. 
such that as soon as he could, he got away from it and went to Rice University, you know, get me out of here. And yet he kept coming back. He kept coming back throughout. So uh, what drove this compulsion, what you call the split in his Western soul? Well, if you would let me read one minute of my introduction, that might give you a, sent and Please a do good so. answer to your question. <clears throat> How many of you knew that Larry was a cowboy? Spent eight, his first 18 years of his life working as a everyday cowboy. Anybody know that? You did. That always surprises me. For some reason, I assume that everybody just simply knew that Larry, Larry's roots are in ranching. Um, so I think the best way for me to address that question, if you don't mind, I'd like to read just a page of, of, um, of my introduction. Idiot Ridge is the name of the ranch. Can you hear me back there? Okay. <clears throat> Idiot, Idiot Ridge. Idiot Ridge. That was the name of the McMurtry family ranch. I've been, many, I've been out there many, many, many times. And uh, like Larry, well, let me just read this. It looks like any other cattle gate in rural Texas, as crude and rough as the ranch behind it. A rusted stirrup, the ranch brand, is mounted on top, and its white paint is as rigid and cracked as the ground beneath. But this is no ordinary gate. It marks the entry to the McMurtry Ranch, a scruffy plateau bordered by the rocky ledges known by locals as Idiot Ridge. It's the place where stories were told and passed around even before Larry McMurtry was born in 1936. He would become one of the most influential writers of the 20th century, shooting holes in the romantic notions of the Old West. Beyond the cattle gate, a dirt road leads up to a mesquite-covered hill. Here, over 100 years earlier, Larry's grandparents unhitched their wagon and made a life. And it's the spot where Larry's life as a storyteller began. Throughout his life, before starting work on any one of his novels, Larry felt impelled to walk the perimeter of the McMurtry Ranch, gazing upon that hill that would shape his literary destiny. To this day, Larry wrote many years later in an autobiographical essay, if I attempt a rural setting, I invariably produce the contours of the hill where I first walked. Growing up on Idiot Ridge, he felt the power of the big western sky, the empty plains, an endless horizon breaking over the ridge and stretching north all the way to Montana. Riding out in the early dawn through dewy grassland, watching the sunlight turn the prairie gold enthralled him. He later wrote, the hold the landscape had on me was so powerful that I, that I couldn't imagine living in any other place. But as he grew older, and this is my last paragraph, but as he grew older, the young cowboy saw the deep blue sky and rolling prairie that had once enchanted turned treacherous. Tornadoes barely missed the barn, grass fires licked at the homestead, and sandstorms and cloudbursts buried the ranch in dust and mud. His horse, Polecat, dragged him through a mesquite briar, ripping his skin to shreds. He was swept up in stampedes, hurled off his horse with, when a steer panicked in a lightning storm, and trapped on the wrong side of the surging little Wichita River, stuck on a weak horse in a world of mud. 
You saw cowboys crushed under their horses, a teenager decapitated by a drilling rig, his father's unending battle against the mesquite that choked the precious grass on that hill. As he watched, a split developed in Larry's western soul. Year by year, the young cowboy became increasingly disenchanted with romantic notions of cowboy life and with the traditional frontier values that governed his own family. Larry saw the loneliness and futility in their lives. So I think that's the answer that why did Larry have an ambivalent attitude about the ranching ethos and the ranching way of life? Because he knew there was two sides of that story. Yeah, he too was swept up in the romance of it. But every day when you get dragged through a mesquite brush that sort of brings you back to the reality of what how difficult it is. He saw his father break his back every day. He saw his brother break his back. His brother now is is Brother Charlie, is, uh, who ranched for many years with Larry, he feels the same way about the ranching life, very ambivalent about it, the cowboying life. And yet, there's a fondness and a love and a respect for cowboys and for that way of life. So that's the ambivalence. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the fun parts of the book, and it's tied to the title, was that in his adult life, instead of continuing like his father did in the ranching life, he saw literature as a vast open range and found his pastures on the empty page. And his job was to herd not cows, but words into sentences, sentences into paragraphs, paragraphs into chapters. So how do you make this connection between the pastures of the McMurtry Ranch and the pastures of the open page that Larry spent his adult life exploring? That's a good question, too. I mean, Larry, the epicenter of Larry's life was Idiot Ridge, the ranch. As I said in the introduction, before he began any novel or book or even screenplay, what did he do? He went back to Archer City and walked the perimeter of the ranch. And he was calling up the ghosts of the past, the cowboys, his, his uncles and his grandparents. And he called, up, he called these ghosts up to help him create the characters that he was creating. And I think it all begins with the ranch. He has this ambivalence, but so do all of his characters, you know. There was this, there's this, and there's this restlessness in all of Larry's characters. I don't know if you've noticed, but he's someone that is all, they're never content with where they are. They always want to be somewhere else. And so, you know, here they are living, and that's the sort of the beginning of Lonesome Up. His father, Larry's father, always wanted to be a trail driver, just like us. So what is, you know, his uncles the same way. And so when they're not content, there's always this stirring, this need to move forward, to move beyond, to go west, to go north, to go someplace other than where you are. And yet you have to come back because that's your home. That's the place you know. And so Larry would always come back. He'd leave, he'd go to Virginia, he came back. He'd go to Houston, he came back. He always was going and coming. And he spent all of his life riding around. He, would he was a road tripper. He loved to drive his car everywhere, and he used to try, he traveled all over the country, wrote a book called Roads, which is all about his traveling life. That's, I, I, think, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Now, you mentioned his dad and his dad's influence. His brother, Charlie, who wrote one of the essays, said his dad was a wiry, grouchy, set-in-his-ways rancher. But Larry McMurtry said his dad, quote, studied cattle 
with the same fascination that I read books. And it was the sense of the crack in reality between what is and what might be that my father passed on to me. That's one of my favorite lines in the book. It's the crack where books are born. So how did this father-son relationship impact? I mean, you've said, yeah, it inspired the character Gus, but it was more than that. It was, you know, from his earliest memories until his father passed away and thereafter. Yeah. Let's go deeper on that father-son relationship. Well, it's a complex relationship, like many father-son relationships are. I don't suppose anybody in this room has a complex relationship with their dad, right? Um, yeah, his father was stern, demanding. Uh, out on the ranch, he wouldn't even allow so much as a cup of water, uh, cold water. Everything was out of a canteen, and if that wasn't good, for, good enough for you, hit the road. Um, Larry had high expectations for his two sons, Charlie and Larry. He wanted them to be ranchers. He needed them to be ranchers. He needed them because it, it was hard to get help. And so he was crestfallen when Larry, when Larry's cousin brought back a bunch of books from, from the Korean War and Larry fell in love with literature because suddenly Larry's world opened up beyond the ranch. And Larry, uh, when, I remember Larry telling me his trepidation when he went to tell his dad that he was, wanted to go to college. It was like the end of the earth, like the earth collapsed. And his dad was, couldn't even speak. He was so crestfallen that his son decided to go to college rather than work the ranch that it tormented him. And yet, and yet, he also admired Larry until he wrote The Last Picture Show. And, then, and that's when his relationship really soured because it was a, uh, how many of you read The Last Picture Show or seen the movie? You know that it's sort of this deep dive into small town life, the mores of small town life. And uh, both his parents um, basically banned anybody in the family reading Larry's book. <laughs> well, interestingly <laughs> enough, he dedicated the book to the people of Archer City, yeah, which was kind of a joke because the book told how weird and sexually crazy they all were. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the best little vignettes in the book, how many of you have not seen the movie? Because if you haven't, you've missed one of the greatest movies of all time. One of the early scenes, Sonny, one of the main characters, he's going to the last picture show, the picture show with his date, when the show's over, they get in his old beat-up pickup truck. They go to where they always go to make out. And the first thing she does is she whips her bra off and hangs it on the rearview mirror. And when, that, when I saw that, I said, this is a different kind of movie. Uh, and so anyway, all these people in Archer City thought, he's talking about me. And all these older women, you know, kind of the upper crust of Archer City said, yeah, that, that, I was Charlene. <laughs> Which I thought was hysterical that they yeah. wanted to think yeah, I was the guy, the woman who put my bra in the rearview mirror. But uh, Yeah, one woman wrote a book about that very subject, the woman from Archer City, that, it, another story. But yeah, a lot of people thought that they were indeed the character that Larry was writing about, although Larry tried to disabuse them of that notion. Okay, let's talk about HUD. Has anybody not seen HUD? Again, this is an unforgettable movie. It was based on his very first novel, called Horseman Pass By, which he wrote when he was 24 years old. 
And your book says it explored the many ways, quote, the deep conflicts between urban and rural values of the changing West, the tragic consequences for families caught up in the conflict, the loss of the open range, and the emergence of the oil patch with its materialistic values. So how could anyone have that level of consciousness and perception at the age of 24? Yeah. Well, he, um, he was, came from a small herding family. You know, they were small ranchers. And all around him, oil and gas development was exploding. And there was always this conflict and tension between the ranching life and oil and gas development. Um, for the McMurtrys, oil and gas was the enemy. Not for most of the ranchers, because they needed the income. Um, but for the McMurtrys, there was this scorn, this, um, this sense that their life was being invaded by an industrial world that they wanted nothing to do with. For them, it was all about beef, right? And so um, Larry was in touch with it because he lived with it. Uh, he lived in it. He lived in the midst of this urban change. And he, and he traveled a lot. Uh, as he got older, after he was sort of escaped uh, Idiot Ridge, um, and he traveled a lot. He spent a lot of time in libraries and book collecting and all of that, and he's a savvy guy. He was the most erudite man that I've ever known. He could, he could cite chapter and verse from any book, you would name it. He could do it. Why? Because he had read for all 450,000 books in his booked-up bookstore in Archer City, and he was basically... Uh, the greatest intellectual I've ever known. Brilliant, just brilliant. Well, we've talked about the opening books, the failure trilogy about small town life, but then he goes to college at Rice University. He ends up teaching creative writing at Rice University. And now he moves into a whole new world and creates a trilogy of novels about Houston and, and big city life that you say were, quote, preoccupied with the excitement, melancholy, struggles, and passions of urban life, such as terms of endearment, all my friends are going to be strangers. Again, how does somebody pull off that kind of major switch from this small town ranch life to all of a sudden totally wiring into big city life? You know, that's a question that I got about three or four weeks ago when I was speaking at a, to a group in Houston. I was shocked that many the entire audience didn't know that Larry had written a Houston trilogy. I think there's six or seven books in the trilogy. Read them. They're brilliant. Moving On is still one of my favorite books. That's the first book in the Houston trilogy. How, did he, how was he able to connect with Houston? He called, it, he called Houston My Paris. My Paris. Imagine a little a cowboy from Archer City uh, goes to Rice University goes into the Fondren Library and is overwhelmed by seeing millions of books that he had just fallen in love with as a young man. Um, and then he goes, you know, he becomes a weird sort of rancher writer for a while. And then, and then what happens? He, this guy, <laughs> he moves to Houston where he's teaching creative writing at Rice. And he's traveling around this city and he can't believe it. Now he sees giant skyscrapers and he sees, you know, freeways and he sees all that. It's like a, it's like Mars for him. And he sees bookstores and he sees, you know, no bookstores existed in Archer City back then. He sees 
urban life, and he's taken up with it. He's swept up in it, and he goes, my God, this is my Paris. And I think that it was exciting for him. It was adventurous for him. And it's where I think he really found his wheels as a writer. HUD was, HUD was a fantastic book. I, I agree. His, you know, sort of the Thalia series is great. But there's something, if you want to know about his urban consciousness and his awareness of urban life, read the Houston trilogy, especially moving on, because it's about the rodeo and, and the clash with, with the rural and urban society. And it's fantastic. It's, how many of you have been to the Houston rodeo? That's really what it's about. How many of you have read Moving On? Okay, we'll read it. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, then, after he's got his arms around Houston, he starts writing novels about the oil business. Several novels, uh, which feature Dwayne Moore, one of the characters from The Last Picture Show. So as we all know, that's a complicated subject. There's the pros and cons of drilling from an economic and an environmental impact the tensions between the ranchman and the oil man we talked about, the boom and the bust nature of the energy business. Talk about how he captured all those aspects of the energy business. You know, it's interesting. I worked for the Wall Street Journal for many years, and I, uh, both in Houston and Dallas, and I uh, covered the oil and gas industry for the journal. And Larry knew more about the oil and gas industry than I did. I was stunned by that. I mean. I, and you're right, it comes through in his novels. In Dwayne's Depressed, how many of you have read Dwayne's Depressed? I sound like an advocate for reading Larry's literature, but you should. Dwayne's Depressed, Dwayne Moore is the oil man, the independent oil man in that, in that novel and in a number of other uh, sequels. Um, and Larry knew these small town independent oil men. He knew them well. He s bumped into them all the time. Members of his sister married an oil man. Uh, does anybody know, know Sue McMurtry by any chance? Well, her, she married an oilman. Carlton was his name. And, and so he was privy to all this. He was engaged at dinner table conversation about, oh, goddamn, the big boys are coming in and killing us, you know, that kind of stuff. He knew, he knew the language of oil and gas development. He knew the people in oil and gas development. They were part of his family. So he was able to write about them, you know, with the voice of authority and authenticity. And he captured beautifully, I think, the conflict, as Talmadge just said, between the ranching life and the uh, oil and gas uh, developers, small town oil and gas developers. And again, he never, he didn't condemn them. He didn't condemn oil and gas development the way a lot of writers have, it seems. He understood it. He understood the complications of it. He understood at the same time what was going on in OPEC and how it was affecting the small um, the small independent oil and gas developers. So I would say it was part of his life. That's a long-winded answer to a very good question. All right, well, now we've obviously got to talk about Lonesome Dove that won the Pulitzer Prize. It's been called the Moby Dick of the Plains. Uh, one of your essays said, all that matters is that across vast and slow distances, it's an odyssey of plain and prairie. And there's a possibility however geographically remote, of destinies converging. And because of that, the reader became the book, such that there was no book and no reader, there was just this world. Everybody who's ever read Lonesome Dove says, I became so totally immersed in it, I couldn't put it down. I was into it like no other book I've ever read. So 
as a writer and a writing instructor, George, explain that level of genius to create a story with destinies converging uh, across the country in a different time? Well, how do you talk about someone's genius? Well, um, I'm no genius, but I admired Larry's genius. Um, and how do you do it? I'm not Larry McMurtry. There's only one Larry McMurtry. That's the thing. That's why we are honoring him in this book. There is no other Larry McMurtry. Probably never will be. I mean, people talk about Cormac McCarthy and his work. He's a great, great writer, and I love his work. But there's a difference between McCarthy, Cormac, and Larry. They're, uh, they look at the world quite differently. And, you know, to address your question, it's, it's a hard thing to do. This guy, Larry McMurtry, um, how was he able to write Lonesome Dove, The Moby Dick of the West? How could anybody write that? Because you start reading it, and you become lost, as Talmadge just said. You become lost in this world. You're mesmerized. You're, the book no longer exists. It's a world you're in, you know? It's, you, you lose all sense of connection to planet Earth or your setting, and suddenly you are on this trail drive, and completely on the trail drive. You are in it immersed in it, part of it, and you fall in, you become part of the trail drive crew, and you're with them, and you're paying attention to everything they say, and everything they're doing, and all, they're, as they're facing one peril after another, and you can't wait to get to the next page, because you're on the trail, and only Larry could do that, where he immerses the reader in, into his literature in a way that you are totally and completely connected, where you can't let go of it. It's your world, and you don't want to leave this world. Um, I guess that's the best way I can answer well, that question. I, I mean, when I read your book, I felt that same way about your book. I couldn't wait for the next essay, the next essay, for people going at new and different angles into this unique figure in, in, in literature. <laughs> My last question is tied to something we really haven't talked about as much as we now need to, and that is Michael Corda, who you mentioned, who's prominent writer in his own right, but also a Simon & Schuster publisher, said that Larry was a connoisseur of friendship. He collected friends like he collected books. And that's really what these essays are about. Here's how friends feel towards each other. Here's how a friend impacted my life. You were his friend. Talk about the friendship side of Larry McMurtry. Mm -hmm. Well, it's very interesting. Um, I think Larry made his friends feel like they were the only friends in the world, you know, every single friend. And last week I had three of his closest women friends. I don't know if, I, let me just quickly, and to answer that question, you should know that the last book Larry McMurtry was going to write was about the 62 women in his life. He had 62 close female companions. And that included Diane Keaton, Sybil Shepard, Susan Sontag, all these other writers. Right. Yeah, I mean, many of them famous women, but so, many more not so famous, ordinary people um, that he cared about deeply. And he had a connection with women more than he did men. In fact, he thought men were kind of um, narcissistic and uh, self-absorbed and all of that. And he had a real empathy for women, not that he didn't understand men and not that he didn't create great male characters, but I think he understood women and their frustrations and their... Um, sense of, you know, 
why they're restless and why they have dis, you know, unhappy marriages or whatever, because his mother and father had a very unhappy marriage. I mean, it was very, very messy, to say the least. Um, and so he developed these relationships with women. I think they were sort of surrogates for what he, he wanted to have close, tender um, relationships with women that um, he cared about. And he cared about these women because he felt that they needed to experience a man who really cared for them in many cases. That's sort of interesting. He did pick up a lot of what I call lonely, uh, desperate women who were, became his friends, people that had, were in a lot of trouble, one of whom, I'm not going to tell you who it was, but he found her in a car. She was sleeping in her car in Tucson. And um, he asked if he could help, and that's how it began. There was, um, there was that side of Larry. You know, if you met Larry, a lot of people thought he was distant and aloof and a bit of a cantankerous old sort. But once you got to know Larry, if you came inside his orbit, he treated you like you mattered and you felt it. So I think that's what it is. He's, he's the kind of guy that could detach himself from people that he wasn't, you know, that he, that for whatever reason he didn't connect with. But he also could enter into relationships, deep, caring, long-term relationships with so many people. And he was on the phone constantly. He was right, he'd write in the morning and he'd communicate in the afternoon. I remember one time I, I was running a workshop, I was supposed to be at a workshop in Archer City and something happened and I wasn't there. He calls me up, he goes, George, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? I'm worried about you, that kind of thing. I mean, he, a guy of that stature that would bother with a little guy like me, wondering what's going on, are you okay? That's the kind of guy he was. Yeah, the proceeds from this book are going to this Archer City Writers Workshop to, to benefit aspiring writers or existing writers. So uh, if you've got family or friends who love Lonesome Dove or The Last Picture Show or Terms of Endurement or whatever, we've got a few books left. My great friend Brian Weisskopf from Interrobang is here. Uh, does anybody have a question or two before we adjourn? Yeah, Bob. Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question. You know, we, when a book is out, what did we miss? Um, I think if I had to do it over, I would have liked to have written more about, had a, maybe I have a more, uh, one more essay, and it would have been about, um, even though I have, I think, six women uh, who write about their relationship, would have been nice to sort of, they were talking about their personal relationship with each, each one with Larry, I would have, I think in retrospect, I would have liked to have sort of this connected piece about Larry's relationship with all these women because he didn't write his book. He never got his book out. He died, unfortunately. So I think it would have been wonderful to sort of imagine what that book would have said. You know, imagine what these women would have said about Larry. Imagine what he, this what I just described a moment ago about this world of women that he lived in, that he felt strongly about, and who were always, he was in and out of their lives. And so that's the one connection that I wish that we had in the book. And, for, and almost without exception, there was not a sexual component to it. No. It was just a pure, 
friendship relationship. Yeah. Ray, do you have a question? Mm. I think that's a, another good question. You're asking questions about Larry's legacy, really, because what, you, what we're doing with our collection, Pastors of the Empty Page, and there's a biography out by Tracy Doherty that is also a tremendous biography. Pick it up. Another biography is coming out soon, uh, probably in another year, by another writer, New York Times writer. So there's, there's still this hunger and thirst for who is Larry McMurtry. As to your question about what would Larry write about today, you know, about he wrote about characters in the 50s, I think he would, we're back to um, sort of guessing what Larry would do, but I think he would certainly be interested in contemporary Texas, in contemporary, and, and oddly, he was sort of prophetic. He wrote a lot about what was happening to Texas, stuff that's happening now. He even wrote about the border issues. He wrote about which, of course, we all know is now a gigantic issue. He wrote about relationships between, you know, the sort of the ranchers and the oilmen. So I think he would, I think he would have a lot to say about modern-day America and about our culture and about um, what the future of Texas is. The truth is that he was very concerned about what was happening with Texas and what would happen in the decades to come. And his worry was... Is Texas going to be able to maintain its identity? You know, what it is, what it stood for, what it's always been, its history. Yeah, one of the things I meant to say, when he was teaching creative writing at Rice University, among his students were the three founders of Texas Monthly. Bill Broyles, Greg Curtis, and who's the third? Let's see. Okay, the two founders. But Broyles said about McMurtry, tied into your last answer, quote, he missed nothing and remembered everything. So if he's out today looking at contemporary society, he's missing nothing. He's remembering everything. He's going to go to the good and the bad. He's going to create complex, tension-filled scenarios, characters, etc., that are going to make us all just take our breath away. Talmadge answered your question better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank so George is here to sign your books. George Getschow's book on Larry McMurtry touched my heart with its inspiring remembrances of Texas' greatest author, who's a personal favorite of mine, with remembrances by so many high-powered writers who knew him well. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Make sure and catch all my podcasts at Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and the Washington Independent Review of Books. Until next time, remember, as my late great friend Bobby Bragan used to say, you can't hit the ball with a bat on your shoulder. This is Talmadge Boston of the law firm Shackelford, Bowen, McKinley, and Norton. Thanks for listening.